Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I started looking into quantum physics and I was fascinated by good studies demonstrating that spiritual healing works. And I kept thinking to myself, wait a minute, if you can have a thought and send it to someone else and make them better, well, that undermines everything we think about how the world works. And so I wanted to find out, well, why does this happen? And how far can we take this? Are we talking about just shifting a quantum particle or are we talking about curing cancer with our thoughts? Welcome to series 11 of the Not Perfect podcast, a show that's here to share conversations with world-leading thinkers to help us grow, stretch our minds, thrive, and heal from within. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author of Happy Not Perfect and entrepreneur. I've spent the last decade exploring how we can live better, support our mental health better, expand our consciousness, and feel full even when things feel turbulent. I hope you enjoy the show. On the podcast today is Lynn McTaggart, who is an award-winning journalist and the author of seven books, including the worldwide international bestsellers, The Power of Eight, The Field, The Intention Experiment, and The Bond, all considered seminal books of the new science and now translated into 30 languages. Her work is so deeply researched and she finds mind-blowing research that supports some of the most mysterious topics many dare to not even think about. Over the years, Lynn's been called a metaphysical rock star, the Madonna of the quantum world, the Malcolm Gladwell of the new science, and even the Dalai Mama, which is a favorite of mine. She's consistently voted one of the world's top 100 spiritual leaders for her groundbreaking work with consciousness and the power of intention. In this episode, I'm excited to really explore one of Lynn's most sold books, The Intention Experiment, to find out what intention truly is and the research behind its power. I have to say, I was glued to every single page. I truly appreciated the amount of scientific research that goes into everything that Lynn explores. It is deeply unique in a world where often there isn't much research or people immediately dismiss this as woo-woo. So it is a beyond pleasure to have the woman herself on our podcast today. What's a favorite quote you return to often and why? Okay, well, I'm going to read this. It is from C.S. Lewis. It is from a book he called God in the Dark, and I just love this because it described my own journey. The miracles, in fact, are a retelling in small letters of the very same story, which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. And I think that is so true. We live in a world of the miraculous. We are miracles, not just because of 
our cells and our electrical signaling. But because we have innate powers, the power of intention and so many other powers yet to be used, and I've seen this myself thousands of times, I've seen people heal every kind of illness through the power of intention and more. And I can't not wait to dive into intention and what that even means a bit later. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently and why? Try to be in somebody else's shoes. Always really important to look at life from somebody else's shoes and to understand where they're coming from and not to give up when you aren't getting along. In fact, one of the things I teach my students is send them intention. The people particularly you don't like, send them some loving intention and watch what happens in the energy between you. What do you think is the greatest block preventing people from doing that? Because it often feels like such a dramatic change in energy, especially if you are having discomfort with another and then you're encouraging someone to send compassion towards them. Why do you think we struggle so much with doing those kind of U-turns? Well, we're very tribal people and we like to choose people who are like us. We like people to agree with us. I mean, I wrote about this in my book, The Bond, and we don't like people who don't agree with us. So our definition of the people we want to spend time with are essentially versions of ourself. <laughs> and we've also been taught that if somebody doesn't agree with you, you don't just discuss this rationally. You have to demonize them. In fact, you have to crush them and crush everything about them that you say is not like me, isn't me. And so we have this problem of thinking that in order to get along, we have to agree. We don't have to agree. We just have to respect. And so, as I say, that's something I work on a lot because I've been using intention and some of my intention experiments to heal polarized people. What would you say the first step to allowing yourself to respect and actually become comfortable with not needing to like? Well, number one, understanding that you can be very close to somebody and not agree. I love the story of after a shooting at Planned Parenthood outside of Boston some years ago, Cambridge in Massachusetts, uh, there were some people who were killed who were running this abortion clinic with Planned Parenthood. And both the right to life people and the right to free choice people got together and said, you know, we have to do something about this. So they started meeting in secret and they started observing themselves and realizing they had been demonizing the other person, the other side. So they just started listening and talking and having a dialogue and finding out more about why be people believed what they believed. And over time, they started doing some work together and the, it was the right to lifers who warned the right to free choice people that was going to be another attack by a crazed right to lifer on that abortion clinic. But after a few years, they then held a press conference to talk about this meeting in the secret, both sides. And the journalists turned to them and said, okay, so who won the debate? And both sides said, well, no one. 
because now that we talked about why we believe what we believe, we believe what we believe even more fervently. And so the journalist said, ah, so it was a, a failure then. And they said, oh, no, because now we go out together. We party together. We watch each other's children. We love each other. So they never agreed, but they learned to love. And that, I think, is a really important element. And it all is based around listening to somebody's backstory. Why do they believe what they believe? Hearing why they came to that belief and understanding that you probably have the same values. You just come to it at a different place. So that's a really important point. And it's certainly that and also using the power of intention is a really good way to get the heart to leap across the fence. That was such a touching story. And I think we can all take so much from that story in our own lives. So thanks. That was an amazing lesson to begin this with. And how do you define the soul? Because I ask this question to everyone, but usually the people I ask it to have not studied the soul as much as you have over the decades. So I'm fascinated to hear what you think about this. Well, first of all, I'm going to say something that's probably a little radical, which is nobody's ever been able to find a soul. You know, where does it exist? Is it in my left shoulder? You know, where is it? There isn't a physical soul as it is. But what we are, are spiritual beings at our heart. And so we are all soul. You know, we're also energy. We have to realize that instead of this collection of billiard balls that are supposed to be chemical signaling and electrical signaling, we are something much more ephemeral. We are a batch of vibrating packets of energy interacting with other energy in the, the field, the zero point field, which is that quantum field that surrounds and comprises all of us. And so we're all part of this field. And the big point is there's not a finite separation between where I end and the rest of the world begins. You know, we are always trading energy. And so I like to say the soul is essentially the innate understanding that we have that there is something greater than us, that we are part of something bigger that we aren't just this little, sad, little, separate entity on a lonely planet in a lonely universe, that we are part of a giant whole, an intergalactic superorganism is like is the way I like to put it. And we are all part of that. And that to me is extraordinarily awe-inspiring. And I think when we tap into our latent powers, the power of intention, the power to see beyond our senses, the power to grasp this whole and to live in oneness, then we are living in soul. Wow, that's so beautiful. And I think now it feels the right time to really dig into really what does it mean to live with intention? Like what is the power of intention to someone who may never have had it before? And obviously your book, The Intention Experiment, breaks it down. But in summary, what do you mean? Okay, well, I started looking into quantum physics and 
I was fascinated by good studies that I learned about in the 1990s, as far back as then, demonstrating that spiritual healing works. And I kept thinking to myself, wait a minute, if you can have a thought and send it to someone else and make them better, well, that undermines everything we think about how the world works. And so I wanted to find out, well, why does this happen? Are there such a thing as human energy fields? So I started exploring and I interviewed and studied a number of frontier scientists doing work in consciousness research. And instead of finding an easy answer, to my astonishment, I found that each of them were on the verge of a small piece of what compounded into a new science, a completely new view of the world. So I wrote that up in my book, The Field, and that was all about this big quantum energy field and all our extended human potential that was being demonstrated and this new view of the world. But there was some unfinished business I had after that book, and that was the experiments that demonstrated that thoughts are an actual something with the capacity to change physical matter. So, Poppy, my background is as an investigative reporter. I actually started out life with hidden tape recorders. I, my first big book was Breaking International Baby Selling Rings. So, uh, you know, I started out life thinking, I'm going to put bad guys in jail. <laughs> and so that journalistic fact-finding skeptical nature that I have has never left me. And so when I was thinking about intention, the law of attraction, all of those things, I started saying, well, how far can we take this? Are we talking about, you know, just shifting a quantum particle? Or are we talking about curing cancer with our thoughts? And I also wanted to see what happened when lots of people are thinking the same thought at the same time. Does that magnify the effect? So I set up a thing called the intention experiment back in 2007. And I, I have a lot of readers around the world because the field was in lots of languages. And I also know a lot of scientists working with prestigious universities around the world, working in consciousness research. So I thought if I just put them together, I'll have the biggest global laboratory in the world. And so that's what I did. I set up some well-controlled experiments with some of these scientists in their university labs. And I would then every so often invite my readers around the world to come onto my website or some other platform and do a big intention all together, which meant holding the same thought at the same time. So we started out small. We started out trying to affect subtle processes in a leaf, and then we moved on to trying to purify water, trying to lower violence in violent and war-torn areas, and even healing somebody of post-traumatic stress disorder. And to date, I've run 40 big intention, global intention experiments, and of the 40, 36 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. And just to put that in context, there's no pharmaceutical drug out there that has had that kind of consistent track record. And, you know, we have done loads and loads and loads of different kinds of experiments. So I'll give you an example of one of the early ones that blew all of our minds. 
So we did an experiment back in 2007, it still was, uh, with Dr. Gary Schwartz, who is a noted psychologist at the University of Arizona. We wanted to see if we could make seeds grow faster. So he put together four sets of 30 seeds each, labeled them A, B, C, D, photographed them, sent them to me. And I was just going to speak before an audience of about 700 in Sydney, Australia. So I thought this will be a fun test. So we randomly chose one of the four sets of seeds. Let's say we chose seeds A. Didn't tell the scientists. I had everybody send an intention to make the seeds grow a certain amount by a certain by five days and um, to grow faster than the others. So we then told, when we were done with the experiment, we told the scientists, okay, time to plant the seeds. They planted them, and only after they measured them five days later did we unblind the study and tell them, well, it was seeds A. Now, seeds A grew significantly higher than all of the controls. We ran that experiment five more times in five different locations with different audiences in New York and South Carolina in Texas, California, and then once over the internet with my whole audience. Every single time the seed sent intention grew significantly higher than the controls. So let's just unpack this for a second to see exactly how weird this is. I'm in Sydney, Australia. I'm not showing my audience the real seeds. I'm showing them a photograph of the seeds. And we're sending an intention to the photograph, a symbolic representation of the actual seeds. Those seeds are sitting in Tucson, Arizona, 8,000 miles away. Yet we had an effect. And over and over again, we had an effect. So I started realizing that what we are creating here is a psychic internet wow. of connection. We do an intention and we have an effect across the world. And I have seen that repeatedly. So that was one aspect of the intention experiments that were really interesting, but not really anywhere near as interesting as when we started doing peace intention experiments. So from 2008, I was pretty sick of seeds and leaves and all of that. And I said, hey, let's do something huge to some of these scientists. Let's lower violence in a war-torn or violent area. I think a few years ago, we did an amazing experiment that was focusing on the officially most violent place in America, which is St. Louis, Missouri, and specifically one area, one neighborhood called Fairground. So I had my audience, this time I broadcast over TV, and I had my audience do an intention to lower violence in just that one area. And I worked with Dr. Jessica Utz, who is a professor of statistics at the University of California and very knowledgeable about consciousness research. And so I got her three years prior of violent crime and property crime in St. Louis as a whole and also fairground. And then we waited six months and then got the data after six months, you know, six months after our experiment. What happened afterward? We saw an upward trajectory before the experiment of both areas, St. Louis as a whole and fairground for both property crime and violent crime. After our intention, 
St. Louis as a whole, violent crime continued to go up. Property crime continued to go up. Property crime for fair ground continued to go up. But violent crime, the focus of our intention, dropped by 43%. Nowhere else around St. Louis, only that area. So that was the amazing things we were beginning to see. But this isn't the point of the story. The point of the story was what was happening to the participants. So I began surveying the people who were part of this, and I started discovering amazing things. The question was just to them, how was this for you? Were you able to get on the internet? Could you get on my website? You know, basic stuff like that. But what was coming back to me was things like this. I felt like I was part of a higher network. I was shivering and crying. I had energy coursing up and down my arms. I felt like I was in a tractor beam of Star Trek. So that was interesting. But what was even more interesting is what they said had happened in their lives. Their lives were becoming more peaceful. They were making up with, they reported on making up with estranged partners or children or forgiving their parents. They were getting along better with their coworkers and boss. They were even saying, and I think nearly half said, I'm more in love with everyone I come in contact with. Wow. You know, so people were hugging strangers. It was amazing. And about 40% with this and every experiment since has demonstrated that a lot of people get healed or improve their health. About 40% will say, my arthritic knee doesn't hurt so much anymore, or being able to walk better, uh, being able to see better, all kinds of illnesses, something in that whole altruistic activity of working together in a group is extraordinarily healing, has a mirror effect on the senders. And it, in a sense, mirrors what they are intending. So if they're intending for more peace, they themselves find life more, more peaceful. So that's been the real focus now, is the target's less important than the activity of being involved in it. These stories are so mind-blowing that in some capacity, they almost feel unbelievable. And, you know, in your book, you do talk about how we've been conditioned by kind of Newton and Darwin, who have shaped our view of the world. And obviously, you are presenting this data-backed, different view of how the world operates. So what barriers do you often come up against or schools of thought that in some way can't get around to this new research way of looking at how we can impact our own lives and others, and how do you usually help them break out of their conditioning? I don't think I'm really preaching to the old choir. I'm preaching to the new choir. And the old choir doesn't want to hear this because, you know, science is very retrograde. You know, science <laughs> science, and the science scientific story we find 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hollow now is only a story. You know, people always think of science as a finite truth, but it's only a story, and new chapters get written all the time. You know, there's that famous saying: science proceeds one funeral at a time. And most scientists are there to essentially reprove the orthodoxy, and that's what their experiments do. But you have a band of renegades, of frontier scientists, who may have started out working in some orthodox way. Let's take Princeton University, the late Robert John, Dr. Robert John, Dean of Engineering, can't get more conservative than that. And his colleague, Brenda Dunn. Now, he was working on space propulsion, known for it. And then he came across some information through a graduate student, seeing that mind could affect these random event generators, as they are called, these electronic, essentially, tosses of the coin. So he got intrigued. And that caused him to set up a 25-year study looking at the effect of mind on this random process. And they did hundreds of thousands of studies and demonstrated that our capacity to change these equipment with our minds, and in this case, it was just computer a computer system that would randomly show, say, two images, let's say of apples and pears. And the job of the operator sitting in front of it would be to send an intention to have more apples than pears. And in a, an extraordinarily significant number of cases, people got more apples than pears, let's say, more outcomes in their targeted intention than not. So this was an extraordinary thing that drove a stake right into the heart of conventional science. And there are so many other scientists who have too. Now, this very prestigious dean always tried to get all of his evidence published, always would write these impeccable studies about his research, which was always designed flawlessly. And they would be rejected out of hand, not because of the results, but because they threatened that current worldview. Now, in terms of proof, I've put all of the proof of the experiments I've talked about so far in my book, The Power of Eight, which has also been demonstrated. Every single study has been done with a well-known scientist from Penn State University, from University of Arizona, from University of California, and on and Princeton, and on and on and on. So I have that, and my surveys are always carefully done too. But I also have hundreds and hundreds of videos, two people getting out of their wheelchair after one 10-minute intention, 
hundreds of people reporting on how their by their lives, whether it is their their bodies, their finances, their careers, their relationships, even their life purpose has healed through the power of intention, particularly group intention. Because one of the things that I'm working on is putting people into smaller groups. I call it the power of eight. And that is where I see extraordinary, miraculous healing. I see it in my courses. I see it in my intention masterclass and my intention essential courses. We see instant miracles where people heal themselves and heal each other in some capacity in a group. And that's what I think is so powerful and powerful in the intention experiments too. It is the power of the group and many other things too. Something you do mention, uh, which is obviously very closely tied to this, is the observer effect. Um, Why is it important to how we understand our thoughts? Well, to understand the observer effect, we have to get down and dirty a little bit with quantum physics. So what you have to understand about quantum physics is that it is about subatomic particles, but they're not what we learned in science class. They're not these little billiard balls, these little solid, stable things that rotate around like a miniature solar system. They are vibrating packets of energy, as I've mentioned before, and they are constantly trading energy back and forth, back and forth. But here's the key thing with each other and with the rest of the world. So it is a dynamic system. It's a relationship. But here's the weird thing about quantum particles. They are not an actual something yet. So imagine they're a seat in an auditorium, okay? Each quantum particle is a seat. They're not one seat. They're every seat in that auditorium all at the same time. So they are every possible self all at the same time. Now, the only thing that collapses them down to a set self is the involvement of an observer. Scientists recognized in some of their experiments that quantum particles were in this little twilight state until a scientist would take a measurement or actually observe it, at which point it would collapse down to a set state and have a set trajectory of some sort. So they recognized that. So they, many people from scientists to philosophers have recognized that reality is not universal for all of it. It is subjective and that we as observers are helping to create it. And so we see that definitely on the quantum sphere. Now, scientists always like to say, well, there's a big difference between the world of the quantum, the teeny world of the teeny and the world of the sticks and stones large, our big visible world. But that's not true. We're finding more and more that the big visible world also has quantum effects. They found quantum effects in photosynthesis, the most important process on the planet because it gives us oxygen. That is a quantum process. So many other things, they found that giant molecules that are visible to the naked eye exhibit quantum properties. So that's all part of the big world too. I don't think there's two sciences. I think there's one science for all of life and this is it. 
So we're somehow creators in our world too. And I've certainly seen that with very focused thoughts. And that's the work I do and what I teach is helping people actually use techniques of intention that I've studied and practiced and melded together as a simple type of format, a simple program people can follow because I believe we are powerful creators. And I've seen it, as I say, I've seen thousands of people getting healed and not in you know, hours of priming. That's the thing that I think is so amazing about intention. We think about miracles and we think that you have to be a Buddhist monk or you have to study for years or climb up a mountain on your knees, you know, or sit for hours in a sweat lodge. But I have found that the only intentions we ever do as a group are 10 minutes long. That's it. And we, it's only because we started doing it for 10 minutes with our first intention experiment and it worked. So we thought, okay, we'll follow that. We'll follow that little procedure then. And I'll give you an example. Not long ago, I was speaking at a, in an auditorium, about 800 people. And I put people into groups, power of eight groups at the end of my talk. And they went through a 10 minute intention. And then I asked them at the end, okay, anybody feel anything? So I had a woman who stood up and said, I am due to have a knee replacement. My knee was so wobbly that I couldn't stand on it. And she did a deep squat for all of us. And by the way, I followed up with her and she canceled her surgery. We had somebody else who had had a dislocated shoulder and it was hurting her so much. And she actually felt her shoulder go back into place during this 10 minute intention. And by the way, these people were the recipients of the intention of the small group. The group was sending intention to heal them. We had somebody else who had a stroke and she couldn't focus her eyes. And suddenly she could focus. She said, my eyes are all better. And my favorite, there was a woman with terrible back pain who was completely skeptical of the whole thing, didn't believe a word I was saying. And her back, got healed during it. But this is the kind of thing I see over and over again, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. It doesn't happen to everybody, but in my courses, particularly one of my courses where it's year long, I put people into groups and I have them consistently work together and they find the people who are working in power of eight groups and continue to do it over the years, see pretty much everybody has some sort of transformational experience. Am I right in thinking that when we hold intention, like we hold some desired impact in our mind's eye, that is activating the observer effect because we are observing a new reality that then has a cause and effect? That's a kind of interesting take on it. Really think of it as reality much more being like Play-Doh. Right. It's not formed yet. And with your focus as an observer, you are essentially creating it into being. You are turning it into a sculpture. So it's more your focus and just your involvement. Now, we're taking it one stage further. We're not even just observing. We are intending. We're nudging it into a particular sculpture. The easy way to think of it is your mind is helping to create what's out there. And what are your thoughts between 
intention and action and what is the relationship because how much can we change our reality through thinking and then where does action play out in all of this well that is a great question muhammad ali was a master of intention you know he used those little quatrains that we used to think about and think were so cute that he did you know archie moore is going to hit the floor at four you know if you go back and look at his fights you find that yes archie moore got knocked out in the fourth round. So they were little mini intentions in disguise. And he had lots of things like that. And of course he used probably the, the most amazing affirmation I've ever known, which is, I am the greatest. You can't really improve on that, you know? <laughs> so he, you know, was a master of all of those techniques. Absolutely, and early, early. And every elite athlete will use mental rehearsal. It's something that I teach now because when you visualize moment by moment that the outcome, the desired outcome, here's what happens. Your brain is so smart in so many ways, but it's also a little bit dumb because it can't distinguish between an action and a thought. It can't distinguish between the same neural pathways fire when you think about doing something and doing it. So for instance, if I think about running, and I really imagine myself running, the very same neurons will fire on my legs, et cetera, as if I were running along. So in a sense, it trains the body to expect that outcome. It, it almost is training in doing it. And that's why elite athletes do it, because they realize they're training their body just by thinking, just by mentally rehearsing it. So that's really important. When you say, how important is action too? Well, yeah, follow through is really important, but there's lots of follow through. There is acting the part, you know, embodying that intention. There is acting like it's already happened, you know, getting the business cards made already, you know, all of that kind of stuff. There's all of that in attempting to bring about the desired outcome. And there is any other activity that, you know, for instance, if you're ill, you can do an intentions to find the right practitioner, but you also ought to do your homework too and start mm. looking. So you have to combine it with some action as well. What are your thoughts on strengthening an intention practice? Let's say people want to, to start trying this out immediately and in your book, you give lots of small tips about meditation. But for many people, meditation is a bit of a struggle. It's difficult. It's kind of, I feel like the world is more distracted than ever. So are you also noticing people being less effective at their intention work in the last maybe, let's say, 10 years since the smartphone kind of took away so much of this focused thought? So yes, I guess to simplify that, how do we strengthen our intention and what are the threats against it? Okay, well, uh, that's a very interesting idea about smartphones being a threat against it. One reason I only hold intentions for 10 minutes and I ask my groups only to hold intention for 10 minutes and teach that in my classes is because I recognize lots of people have never meditated before and it's hard for them to hold anything more than 10 minutes. And that came about because Dr. Gary Schwartz and I, when designing that first experiment with a leaf, said, how long do we think this audience is going to be able to hold this thought? And we said, maximum 10 minutes. 
So that's why. Now, I've seen intentions work on much, much less than that, too. But I would say 10 minutes with the group because, and here's a real important element, the things that are really important with intention, the group, number one. Yes, focus thought. And yes, there are particular techniques to learn to get more focused. That's some of the stuff that I do. But a group's really important. Notice a key piece of what I do is altruism. People in a group, seven out of eight times, you are focusing on an intention for somebody else in that group. But I've seen such a huge mirror effect over and over again, the people doing the intention for someone else, their lives start working. They start getting healed. Altruism, if you look at the science of altruism, it is totally a bulletproof vest. People who do things for other people live longer, healthier, happier lives. It's not just a feel-good effect. It's a vital thing for you to do, to live a long and healthy life. But what I've seen in intention circles is the healer most likely is going to get healed as well as the healy. It's a powerful thing. There is also this sense of oneness. Now, I've done, we've done brainwave studies on Power of Eight groups to find out why they're working. And what we have found is, you know, I always thought these groups will look like meditators in terms of their brain signatures, their EEG signatures. That is when you measure the electrical activity of the brain. They look nothing like that. I worked with a team of neuroscientists at Life University, the largest chiropractic university in the world. And we were shocked. What we found was lowering of brainwave activity in all of the parts of the brain, like the parietal lobes would sit back here, the frontal lobes, the right frontal lobes, involved in separation and also in worry, doubt, negativity. They were all dialed way down. So these were people whose brainwave signatures were almost identical to Buddhist monks, those of Buddhist monks and Sufi masters during chanting in this ecstatic state. These were studies done by the University of Pennsylvania. So my guys were all in a state of ecstatic oneness, essentially. And I think that is a really key piece. If you wanted to ask me one thing, why does this work? It's that. You know, we have intention, we have group effects that lifts everybody to a collective effervescence, as psychologist Emile Durkheim called it. We have the altruism piece. We also have oneness, really important oneness. And if you want me to give people one piece of advice, I would recommend everybody find a group. You can advertise for groups. I have a Facebook group called Connecting and Healing Through the Power of Eight. I set Mm. up just so people can find other people on a group. And I set that up during lockdown um, because people were so lonely. Also on my community site, you can just, it's free to just advertise, hey, I'd like to a group in this time zone. But if you are on your own, there's one key piece of advice, and that is be specific. Tell the universe what you want. Most people are not specific enough. They say, I want a long and healthy life, or I want to be a millionaire, or something. I want peace in my life. You know, Tell the universe exactly what you want. If you need the big toe on your right foot healed, ask for that. So you have to be really, really specific. That, that we have found 
over the years works best. You are absolutely incredible. I am truly just mesmerized by your work. In the show notes, we will put a link to that Facebook group you mentioned, and we'll put a link to the intention experiment specifically, but also a link to all of your books. But thank you so much for inspiring us so much in the past kind of hour that we've chatted. Thank you so much. It's been great being with you, Poppy. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific guest coming up in future episodes just let me know shoot me a message on instagram or twitter it's just at poppy jamie and so until next time stay flexible stay true to you and stay leaning into love hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.